This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Sabrina and I, you know, let's be honest, we chat about a lot of things, and my friends and I chat a lot about a lot of things. And one of the things I think everybody is fascinated by is celebrity divorce, and amongst other things. But we all all are kind of obsessed with it, and I, I don't always know why, except that maybe it makes us feel like they're real people too. Anyway, I am fortunate enough to know Laura Wasser, who is the queen, and I'm sure you hate this title, of Celebrity Divorce. You are the managing managing partner at the family law firm for Wasser, Cooperman, and Mandels, the founder and CEO of the online divorce site, It's Over Easy. You also host a podcast called All's Fair with Laura Wasser, and my favorite, Divorce Sucks. Um, A couple little background things. One of which, Laura was at my wedding. So there <laughs> you go. That's a bad omen. Maybe that was a problem. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, you were dating a friend of mine, and he was one of the few people allowed to bring a date. And he's like, you're going to love her. She's the divorce, divorce attorney. That's what he used to say. And uh, one of the partners at your firm, Susan Carter, handled my divorce. Yes. yes. So I feel like, and we have so many mutual friends, but Laura... Welcome. Now, what has, you know, I last saw you in 98 at my wedding, a couple times since. So fill me in. What's been going on? (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Since your wedding in 98, I, God, I was really a baby lawyer then. I was, I had only been practicing for a few years. Now I've been practicing for over 25. I have two kids. I have not been married since your wedding. So there's that. Nor do I intend to get married anytime in the, near future. Never say never, but I don't think so. Um, I have two kids. I've been practicing. As you said, I uh, started the uh, It's Over Easy online divorce website, which enables um, people who aren't celebrities or high net worth individuals that would otherwise be working with lawyers or our firm to do it online, educate themselves and um, kind of mediate together to be the masters of their own destiny. So that's been a very exciting and time-consuming project over the past couple of years. And now more than ever, since we are all kind of confined to our homes and doing much, much more on our computers, the It's Over Easy website has been, I think, a really, really helpful source, not only of information, but for moving through the process. So that's what I've been up to. Well, that's a lot. Um, but your your dad, Dennis Wasser, was sort of him, and I think was it Raul Felder and Marvin Mitchelson, I think it yep. was? Felder was in New York. Mitchelson and Wasser were here. Yes. Yeah. Really the first, what were called divorce, celebrity divorce attorneys, where they yeah. became as famous as their famous clients. You not, made Probably an, not as famous. <laughs> no, but they, they were, they became sort of in the pop sort of zygist. Yes. Did you always want to be a lawyer? And did you think you were going to end up following pretty much in your father's footsteps? 
No and no. I didn't think I was going to be a lawyer. I think my parents thought I was going to be a lawyer. They named me Laura Allison Wasser, so my initials are law, which I always <laughs> thought was so geeky and totally fought against for years. I embraced it probably in my 40s. Um, and I didn't think that I was going to be a lawyer and certainly didn't think that I was going to go into family law like my dad. When I was in college at Cal Berkeley, um, I was a rhetoric major, and my parents had pretty much made clear to me that as long as I was in school, they would continue to contribute to my support. And I did not have the grades or the brain to go to med school, so I figured law school was the place to go. And with my rhetoric major, I did that. And even then, I did not think that I was going to be a family law attorney, but I kind of fell into it, So, and I stayed. So I just want to back up for a second. Because I see these majors all the time, and it's something that often a friend of mine refers to as a Netflix degree. Um, What is a rhetoric major? A rhetoric, there's only a couple schools in the country that at least back in the 80s and 90s when I was in college had a rhetoric major. But a rhetoric major is super cool. And and UC Cal has one of the best um, rhetoric major programs. It it may be a bit of a Netflix major. It enables you to continue basically being a dilettante. But what you do is you study the art of argument. So if you're looking at a painting rather than an art history major who's looking at brushstrokes and color blending and whatever, you're looking at what is the argument or the message that the artist was trying to make. Same with rhetoric of avant-garde poetry or rhetoric of romantic comedy films of Preston Sturgis. So you see, (laughs) you can take all kinds of really cool classes and what you're doing is trying to figure out the argument. Then there's a whole like public speaking, debate, writing component to that major as well. But I, I loved it. I, I think I did my thesis on the rhetoric of Margaret, Margaret Atwood post-feminist something or other, so, which was well before, you know, the famous resurgence of, of, right. of Margaret Atwood. And so, and I loved it. I mean, it really is cool to be reading something. And look, it, it infiltrates your brain. I can't see or listen to or hear any song on the radio without now thinking, Hmm. I wonder what they were, what's the argument they were trying to convey? What's the message there? And it's a very interesting way to look at life. I think I kind of already did that a little bit. So this just gave me the tools to be able to do it really uh, well. And it ended up being very useful. I think clearly, so. Yeah. Clearly. But did you know that when you were applying for schools, like this is what I'm going to get into and, and how, no. I was getting ready to say, yeah, how'd you pick that major in and of itself with your parents? Well, no, because they were, they were, I did my first two years of undergrad at NYU. That was a bit of a hard argument because they were like, NYU, that's a commuter school. What are you doing? I was like, I want to live in the city. I mean, it was awesome. And so, and then they really wanted me to graduate from a UC school. So when I transferred to Cal, they didn't really care what my major was at that point. I mean, it was, could have been liberal arts or poli sci, whatever it was that I could still go to law school with, but rhetoric was like they were very impressed that I was going to be a rhetoric major because they thought it was a cool major too. And my parents were very cool. They really, I mean, I went to Switzerland for a year and then I lived in Australia for a year in between high school and college. And then I lived in Spain for a year between college and law school because I married very briefly before Melissa's <laughs> wedding. I was married in 93 um, to a Spaniard. And my parents kind of were just like, they were really young and they just were kind of like, um, you want to do what? Okay. Yeah, like I was going to say, how did that go over? All of it went, like I said, my parents kind of lived a little vicariously through me. They both grew up with not very much money. My dad made money when we were kids and we moved to Beverly Hills and I went through the Beverly Hills school system. And when I told them in 
10th grade that I wanted to do my like 11th grade year in Switzerland. They were like, you want to do what? Like we moved here so that you could go to the best, one of the best school districts in the country. You want to go to Switzerland in, in another, like I'd never been to Europe before. So they kind of followed my lead as long as I was getting good grades and, you know, staying honest and being a kind person, they were like along for the ride. And I, I put one of the Instagram posts that I put up, Melissa, when Luke, my 15 year old went to Switzerland this year was my parents told my brother and me that the most important thing that parents can give children is roots and wings. And we're giving those to you, Luke, just like my parents gave them to me. And it's true. Like I, I know where I'm from. I know what I'm about. I know what is important in life, but I also know that there's so much out there and I want to see it. And I want my kids to have that experience too which is really hard during this pandemic. I can't wait to share the roots and wings with Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> you are horrible, Sabrina. I was going to say, my son's a rhetoric major just by nature, <laughs> as most teenagers are. I'm, yes. sure, I'm sure you're going through that with your 15-year-old. Suddenly it's like, when did you learn to argue? My 15-year-old is more of a secret agent than a rhetoric major. He's <laughs> all below board. There's not a lot of arguing because you don't know what the hell's going on ever. Exactly. So... It's so funny because I, I, you know, I feel like we have to fill people in a little bit. You're known as, thanks to TMZ, the Disso Queen. Now, I didn't know that that represented dissolution. I thought it had to do with what is it, the Disso Master? Yeah. Well, that's it too. Disso is anything that's dissolution. So the Disso Master was named for dissolution, but I did years ago represented. Um, a client and he came into the office and like the third or fourth time he was kind of, he was a rocker younger. And he finally looks at me and he goes, why do they call you the disco queen? We're like the same age. You weren't going to discos. And I was like, it's not the disco queen, dude. It's the disco queen. You know, I hate to defend it because it's a horrible name. It's such a dubious honor to be the disco queen or a celebrity divorce attorney. Like, no, you know, I think in the age of Raul Felder and Marvin Mitchelson, may he rest in peace, and and Dennis Wasser. That might have been a cool thing for me. I'm kind of just like, and because our public our filings are public in California, you can't get anything done without everybody knowing. And so my phone, you know, probably once a month is blowing up with all of these reporters. And for 25 years, they've been asking me questions. And for 25 years, I've not been responding. And if they get me on the street, I'm like, no comment, no comment. And God bless them. They just keep trying and asking me. You know, you've got to appreciate their persistence. Yes. I think also some of them say like, listen, this is part of my job. I have to be able to tell my editor that I asked you. So sorry. I know you're not going to answer. One of these days, I wish I could just like I answer them and they'd probably be so surprised they would die of shock and then they leave me alone. But at least they're polite because and, and everyone knows they are just doing their job. Well, I mean, half and half are polite, yeah, but, but most of them are know. just yeah. like, but they, it's like, you know, them. they know you, they know you're not going to say anything, but they're obligated to ask. Yes. However, if I had my druthers, the legislature would change it so that, I mean, I don't know what the benefit is of having all of this information be public. I've gone toe to toe a couple times with Harvey Levin from TMZ, who says it keeps judges honest. It makes celebrities realize they're just like everybody else, but they're not just like everybody else in that arena because nobody cares about everybody else. There's no schadenfreude for everybody else. These people's kids are in the market waiting in line and seeing their parents information splashed everywhere. And another problem is, and again, I'm a huge supporter of the First Amendment, but as a result of this 24-hour news cycle that we have and everything being disseminated immediately by the push of a button, the fact-checking is really lacking a bit. And so all kinds of false information comes out. And once it's out, there's no putting it back in the box. No. 
So got to ask you some celebrity questions. And we know you can't divulge any of your clients' names and any of that. We're all very aware. Um, are there any rules when representing a celebrity that are different? Because you've had, you know, some tough clients. Yeah. So usually, I mean, remember, most of these folks have publicists. And so generally, I will have a conversation with the publicist and say, is there anything I need to know? Do we have an award show coming up? Is somebody going to be bringing somebody that's going to, I mean, most of the stuff is irrelevant. We live in a no fault state. However, if you've got drug and alcohol or God forbid, abuse issues or gambling issues, these are things that I want to know about beforehand. And the publicist and, and my firm work together to do what we can, A, to make sure that it doesn't affect my case, and B, to make sure that it doesn't affect the clients. Like, again, if something's filed publicly and it's a custody, you know, a custody hearing, and it's all about how horrible this person is and how much they drink and smoke and party and whatever it may or may not affect the custody proceeding because again, it's all taken with a grain of salt, but it may very well impact their future contracts with production studios, their reputation overall. So we really try to keep them very, very separate and also try to do things strategically time-wise so that it will not affect their public persona. And I wanted to know it as well. Sometimes I heard you say that, you know, you speak with the, the publicists and the different managers. Do you have to override them sometimes? Because, you know, sometimes publicists deliberately kind of, you know, sprinkle information out there about their client, you know, to get a rise in one way or another. And do you find that you have to step in and kind of manage that and go, wait, enough, you know, because it happens to us sometimes. Yeah, less less recently than in the past. Now, really, everybody wants to keep things kind of locked tight. Celebrities are less willing to have the world kind of see their personal lives unless they want them to. So there's kind of a time and a place. Um, it's, it's less with the publicist than sometimes the client. Sometimes the publicist and I are both going, you need to maybe stay home this week, or you need to not post on social media, or you need to say nothing about this. And it's hard if people are saying things about you that aren't true or that are somewhat true, but exaggerated or really offensive, you often want to respond. But what that does is simply continue the news cycle for an extra week. So almost always what we say is, you know, say nothing, let it die. Some new thing will happen to somebody else and we will see that in the news instead of you. I feel like that's the golden rule. Just, you know, it certainly has worked for our president. Mm. <laughs> well, this you shall pass is the golden rule in my world. Just, just let yes. it go. Let it go. So the, so what do you do though, when you have an acrimonious divorce and the other side is constantly putting out false information. Is there a way, I mean, can you send them a cease and desist? I mean, where does this go? Because you've represented some people who've had some very acrimonious divorce. I mean, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard in this last one, very acrimonious. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, very acrimonious. How do you try and convince the other side that they're hurting themselves as well. And, and I mean, do you go to the agent? Do you go to the publicist? Do you go to them? Do you go to their attorney and say, enough? And what kind of steps have you had to take to shut up the other side? Because it's uh, all about the court of public opinion. 
A lot of, our, I mean, look, a lot of it world. is about the court of public opinion. Fortunately for me, my job, it's not. Once my job right. is over, they're on their own with the court of public opinion. But again, judicial officers see things, they read things, they hear things. Um, if the people have kids, to me, that really is the most important thing. And it will affect custody decisions. Um, I feel like there are a lot of family law attorneys or teams, family law attorneys, you know, PR people, the clients themselves who are kind of trying to generate public interest so that they think it will help their case. Again, I usually just try to keep it quiet I, because I now, after doing this for a long time, know a lot of people in the industry. I can have some back channeling. I will sometimes call an opponent's manager or or agent and say this is not good for this family it's gonna the thing about divorce law the two people are linked and so it's not like other kinds of lawsuits if you get into a fender bender or a landlord tenant especially if you have kids you're gonna know this person for the rest of your life so my job is to be a problem solver get the legal part of it done the financial part of it done and get them moving on to their next chapter that's hard if you've got people throwing mud at each other all through the media and just Generally, people know intuitively, particularly in, in the 2000s, that that doesn't bode well for them or their kids. It used to be people would be throwing things and making statements. You don't see that as much anymore. So that's no. a good thing. They got the memo. But yeah, trying to just keep it keep it calm as, as much as possible because that's what ends up getting them to resolve the case between themselves and not having a judge that doesn't know them, doesn't have time to learn the facts of their situation, certainly doesn't know their kids, makes decisions about their lives. Right. How how much of a therapist do you play? I mean, a lot of times you have to work through that process to kind of get to know somebody and know what's important for them. But I probably at least once or twice a week will say, I'm not a therapist. Okay, I'm a hot mess in my personal life. You don't want to take advice from me. I'm like slutty girl that had two kids with guys (laughs) I wasn't married to. I don't have a degree in psychology. So this is not the conversation you want to be having with me, nor am I your friend at 9.50 an hour where we're having a glass of wine together and you're telling me your issues. I'm your lawyer. You seem like a really nice person, but for what you're paying me, you really want me to focus on what I do best, which is figuring out the legalities of your situation and trying to get it resolved. Now, I have two questions. Are there any cases, I know you can't really say names, but are there cases that you regret taking and is there ever a moment where you go, you know what? I'm done. You're going to need to hire yes. somebody else. Bye-bye. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How do you fire a celebrity? And what do you, yeah, what do you have to do? At, what, what pushes you right. to that? Um, if I feel like I'm no, if we are no longer, most of the time I will have a meeting. And even now via Zoom, you can see the crazy in the people's eyes. So you kind of got to be able to see their eyes. But for me, I mean, and I'm lucky because I don't need to just take anybody's case. I mean, the dollars are the same, whoever they are. They're just as green. So it, I don't need to represent famous people. In fact, often it's, it's easier not to, or super wealthy people, by the way. These are all people who are very used to getting what they want. So when I come in and go, yeah, that's not going to happen. And it's not going to not going to happen because in me, it's not going to happen because that's not the law. You might be very rich and very famous and you might want sole custody of your kids. In California, that's probably not going to be how it goes down. So I want to be the first one to tell you that because everyone else is on percentages. is going, oh, of course, girl, you're going to have those kids 100 percent of the time. He cheated on you. He's an asshole. You're going to have those kids. Well, no, you're not. He's an asshole. He's cheated on you. He was a bad husband, may not be a bad father. So, yes, I um, have had a couple of cases where either I didn't see the crazy at the beginning, I missed it, 
doesn't happen much, but it's happened. Or the crazy kind of bloomed during the case and I became ineffective. We were on two different pages. I wasn't able to serve their best interest and also stay true to what I do, which is getting it done. Also asking for things that are realistic. Sometimes you'll have somebody on the other side that's not being reasonable. And so you go to court and you say to the judge, we're being reasonable. Here's what we've asked. We need it. But if we're not, if I'm going to a judge and telling him or her something that's not reasonable, I mean, I got to be doing this for a lot longer. I got kids to put through college. I have to depend on my reputation and what's best for the client. So, yes, there have been times where I've said, I don't think this is working anymore. I'm breaking up with you. I'm sorry. And there's some other people who would be happy to do your bidding. It hasn't happened often, but it's happened. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been some notable ones that you finally have said, I I, I can't. That's got to be, though, it's got to be a tough decision. I, all I can say is it's like a decision to break up in a relationship when you know you know. There's no, like, li- lightning or thunder that comes down. Just at a certain point, you go, you know what? This isn't working anymore. And in right. this relationship, it's, it's a for hire. I'm getting paid to not really mm-hmm. believe in what we're doing here. That doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. Well, because I loved Susan Carter. She would talk sense into me. She would know when I was going crazy. She would know when I would be like, fuck him, fucking no way. And by the end of the conversation, she would be like, okay, so now that you've got that out of your system, here's what what I was proposing. Very good at being a voice of reason. Exactly. I mean, I always heard, and this, I guess, goes to my next question of managing the media, which is sort of what we're talking about, that actually I had heard it was your concept that you often know well in advance who you're already working on things and people are separating and divorcing, but that you, you not just you, but I always heard it was your concept to, cause everyone says the celebrity divorces come in waves that it's purposefully actually filed close together so that it's a shorter media cycle on each one. Is that, I mean, you've been credited this, which I think with this, which I think is genius. If I can do it, I mean, you know, if I can group them, if I can get settlements together beforehand, um, it's not managing the media. It's being terrified of the media and knowing that the media is so much more strategic and smart than we are and cutthroat. So it's just trying to do it to minimize whatever we have to be dealing with. And again, you know, the publicists are fine to be able to handle it once we've done our work. I just mm-hmm. don't want the media to impede on what we're doing. And sometimes, you know, if something comes out saying so-and-so paid so-and-so this, and then everybody's asking about it, they start feeling like, well, maybe this isn't a good deal. Maybe I shouldn't make the deal. Maybe it's too much. Maybe it's not enough. So I want that part of it done before anybody's second guessing it in the media. He was too generous. She, she took too little, whatever it is. They should be making those decisions, not based on the court of public opinion. Have you ever met with clients um, and you finally just at one point say you should stay together. Yeah. Or, I mean, here's the interesting thing. And this is why I do what I do. And we've, we're on hiatus right now for the All's Fair podcast, but we took Divorce Sucks and kind of morphed it into All's Fair because All's Fair is about all relationships. I'm fascinated by human relationships and human nature. And so it's so interesting for me to meet people. And I, the first thing I say on a first call is, so what's going on? So they tell me, it's where, where do they start? Do they start when they met in college or do they start two weeks ago when she found out that he was sleeping with his secretary? I mean, what... What is the narrative around these people's situation? I love hearing their story. And then I'm often surprised to meet whoever this monster is that they've described to me when we ultimately do have a settlement conference or show up in court. 
were they right? Was my impression of them correct? Are they totally different from who was described? Did these people deserve to be together? There was a, a very well-loved family law court judge named Ken Black, and he had this saying, which was, Mother Teresa never marries the evil Rasputin. You know, people come in and they say all these horrible things about their spouse, but then at some point you go, oh, I understand why you two were married, or they deserved each other, or whatever it is. So it's, and what another famous family law attorney used to always say is, you married her. I mean, like you were right. with this person for however many years. I just met you. Like you can say how horrible they are, but for some reason you were attracted. You walked down the aisle. You you had sex. You were in the delivery room. You had kids. You did the bar mitzvahs. So now all of a sudden I'm your bestie and we hate her. Like how do we figure out what to do about the fact that this is someone you were with for all this time? Mm-hmm. I, I actually had that experience um, in your conference room. <laughs> I actually had that experience. And you're at home as well. (laughs) Yes, but no, but you know where the opposing counsel, after everything was settled, said, you are not at all what we were told you were. We were not, you are not at all what we expected at all. And it it was really interesting. And, you know, there's lots of repercussions to that. But they actually, I mean, I guess how I was portrayed was so horrific that they actually told me that right. you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I can't yeah. remember who they were at this point, but like, yeah, I think that's odd that they would have been so surprised on top of which you already had a public persona. Like they could have seen who you were. Right. 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 But it was still quite, quite interesting. I would imagine that people are always struggling with their emotions um, in this process. And you really have to police yourself because you go before a judge, you know, most women look like lunatics or they look like they can't manage their emotions, that they're just so emotionally fragile. Well, men come in so, you know, they have all this charisma and they're pulling it together and you're just to say, okay, calm down. So just a lot of emotions flying around. Or the opposite. opposite. Sometimes you've got guys that are really flying off the handle and women who have been ball busters for years and all of a sudden they're this shrinking violet crying on the stand wearing like a little lace collar and you're (laughs) like, who's that? (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, she just sent me a text yesterday saying, fuck off, bitch. <laughs> I love that they try and dress the part. Um, you know, a lot of my friends who have gone through divorce have had to bring in like forensic accountants and private eyes and blah, 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 blah. What is the most shocking thing you've ever discovered in one of those situations? Well, I mean, look, there's been forensic accountants always uncover misappropriation. There was a house here. There was a condo here. There was a charge account here. Um, So those aren't super shocking anymore. Our firm doesn't use PIs because, again, California is a no-fault state. Anything you're Mm going to find financial that's relevant, the forensics will find. So anything else that's been going on, sometimes the clients will hire a PI and come to us, and half the time I'll say, it doesn't, there's nothing really to, to do for me on this. However, there was a case that I had years ago. The people were married only for a few years. They were having a bitter custody battle about this little girl and her support. And I'm trying to figure out why it was, but for some reason we ended up doing a DNA test, but it didn't have to do with any question about who the father was because they were married and whatever, but the DNA test came back and he had, he wasn't the father. 
And it was like, oh my God, how could this be the case? This is so crazy, whatever. And as a result of that, like everything kind of just fell apart. She was very young and this young man was like, I'm out. I don't, you know, it's okay, whatever. It was a really, it was shocking. And, and I, I had to let my client who is mom know, and I was very interested to see how she was going to respond. Cause she must've had some idea. She was shocked too. I said, well, it was only a few years ago. Did you forget that you slept with somebody else? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's just like, that's not something you would necessarily forget. I don't know. I think it was one of those things where she, she blocked have, it she out. She blocked she it out. Have, she must have convinced herself that it never happened or something like that. I don't know. It was a very weird situation. But DNA came up. I'd have been like, oh my God, they switched babies at the hospital. <laughs> I'm trying that. She's like, I think that's not the right test. I said, I no, no, it's happened. 98 point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because you always hear about people discovering, and I have a friend that this happened to when their parents had a very acrimonious divorce, had not just one other family, had two. Wow. It's and exhausting. one in the same city. And think about it. And one in the same city wow. with kids the same age. Yeah. At different schools. Doesn't that and no like one knew about really each other. It's hard to do these days. Like, I think those things, may, but these days with social media and what you, everybody always knowing where you are and the Life 360 tracking, I have so many clients who have either been tracking their spouse or having all the phone apps. I mean, there's so many great ones that help with co-parenting and help people, you know, exchange funds and everything else. But there's also so many that end up biting people in the ass. It's kind of crazy. So you've been really honest and open about that. You got married once. You're not going to get married ever again. You don't care, and which I think is awesome. You've got children. You don't care that they're from different fathers. I so applaud that. Have you ever had clients that you've had to say to them maybe after when they start having a punch card, like sixth one free from you, that you just say, you know what, you probably should never get married again? No. I mean, what I will say is, do you think maybe I could meet the next one before? I think I kind of know what the problems are now. I mean, what we do a lot of is we'll do someone's divorce and then they'll come back to us and we'll do the prenup so I can see kind of the progression. But I'll tell you guys, like this is this is a field where you cannot judge. You cannot judge. You never know what makes people tick. Some prenups that I've done where I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot believe these people are getting married he's such a jerk or she's so entitled, whatever, having the conversations, getting it all fleshed out. They stay together forever and ever. And then there's the people who couldn't be nicer, more well-suited, everything's so easy. And two years later, they're back getting divorced. You just never know. And so, and, and so you can't judge because you just never know what somebody else's experience is. And that's been a really amazing lesson for me to learn, not just as a professional, but just as a human um, you just kind of let the experiences wash over you. And rather than judging, you navigate as best you can for a resolution. One thing Jen, that, that I think is amazing is you have really brought your, your expertise and personality to the mainstream. And one of the things I saw that you were quoted on was says about divorce, it doesn't have to be that way. How to divorce without you're destroying your family and bankrupting yourself. That was my book. That's yes. what started all of this, you know, this, the website and all that, because I wrote the book because at the time, that was 2013, so I was in my early, mid-40s, I had so many friends that were getting divorced and none of them could afford our firm. Like, we were young, we didn't have a ton of money, I mean, it was, what, seven years ago, but I probably started writing it 10 years ago, and 
I want, and of course, every party, every girls weekend, every, everything was me kind of talking through it. So I said, let me just give all of this information to anybody that wants it. And maybe this will help. And it was very well received. And so then I thought, well, let's just put it online. Now we're, you know, by, the, by that time it was 2018 or 19, put it online, have a place to go. Because what has always really surprised me is that in this day and age, our generation is having the same issues surrounding divorce that our parents' generation had, and even that our grandparents' generation had. It's still so taboo. It's still so acrimonious. And if you think about the fact that the statistics show that half of marriages end in divorce, how can it still be so taboo? How can it still be so such a mystery to people? People need to learn about it, educate themselves about the law in their states. Maybe some states we need to change the law and figure out a way of approaching it a little bit more healthily. I'm not saying it's a good thing or positive or yay, we're getting divorced. This whole idea of people's divorce parties kind of, I think is, I'm not so into it, but at least looking forward to your next chapter taking it with a grain of salt, knowing you can co-parent children together, have combined families, the more people that love your kids, the better for your kids, accepting what's happening in a way that is not only benefiting divorce lawyers. Because we, I say to people all the time, I'm going to make a lot of money over all of these arguments you're having. And in a year, these arguments are going to seem so silly. Let's talk through them now before I write 12 letters at 9.50 an hour about, you know, this this cup that you need the set of or whatever. Let's, let's figure out a way to make it simpler. And I think that that, uh, my hope is that we've moved the needle a little. It still has a long way to go. So what are your three top tips that you would give someone, a friend that was getting divorced? communicate, figure out a way to communicate, not only with your about to be ex, especially if he or she is a co-parent with yours, if you need to do some counseling, not for reconciliation, but how are we going to get through this process? How are we going to communicate better as we go through it and moving on? Because I'm going to have a new significant other. You're going to have a new significant other. What's the best way that we can support each other and support our kids? So communication, I would say, um, kindness. Again, like I said before, this is a person that particularly if you have kids, but even if not, you have a house that you own together or a business you own together, you at some point were partners and there will still be an aspect of that partnership going into the future. Be nice to them. Don't burn bridges. Yes, you're going to be angry and you should be in your own therapy or do some kind of, I don't know, yoga, meditation, running, swimming, whatever it is that allows you to feel better. But don't say things to this person that you're going to know for the rest of your life that are going to sting. Try to be a better ex than you were a partner. Because I, like I said, I have really good relationships with both of my exes. And most of that has to do with communication and kindness. The fact that we're kind to each other. I mean, you really see it. And this is the third one. And it kind of all dovetails, which is, this is your family. You, this is your family. Even if you didn't have kids, this is your family. This is someone who at some point you were closer to than anyone else in the world. And I saw this last year, my mom passed away and both of my exes were there front and center from the minute she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer to the minute we were throwing those last handfuls of of dirt onto her casket during her funeral. They were there with my boys holding my hand. They were my family. And I don't want to make out with them or jump back into bed with them or anything else, but they were there for me and they were my family. And to me, Family is one of the most important things in the world. And again, it can take any way, shape, or form you want. But if it's family, even family you pick, 
those are your people and you got to stick with them. So those are the three things that I would say. And if you think about those three things, excuse the pun, if you espouse those three things, then I think you come out of this in a better place. Do you think sometimes it just takes time, though, to yes. get to the place where it's not so acrimonious? Yes, it takes, and that would maybe be the fourth. It takes time. That's why, like, the, this too shall pass. It sucks when it's happening. You hate them. I mean, I know. I've thought to myself, would I rather that he died or that, you know, uh, that he got COVID? Or would I rather that he, you know, be with somebody else? Even if you don't want him, you're jealous when there was somebody else. You have these feelings. You have to get through them. But they do, you do numb out. You do feel better. You do change. Time really does heal. And you have to help that healing process by looking inside and doing what you need. I don't know. Like I said, whatever works for you, whether it's meditation, whether it's therapy, whether it's, you know, a spending spree, as long as you don't do too much damage, whatever is going to get you through that time period, you need to figure it out and know. And then you need to be able to say, okay, we're done now. Because this face that I keep making whenever I think about him or talk about him or whatever, that is not going to do well for me. I'm going to have to have that all fixed up and that's going to cost money and I can't date what I'm recovering. So I better not make that face anymore. <laughs> do pre- come more questions. Do prenups and postnups ever hold up because I spent so much money on my prenup and then had to spend so much money defending my prenup. Yeah. I'm having that a lot lately. Um, the answer is yes. The answer is they do hold up if they're done properly since your marriage and divorce, the law on them has changed. At least in California, there's a lot more strong requirements that you must meet to make them um, enforceable. But unfortunately, this is, again, another, I mean, almost every case that I have where I represent the moneyed party and there's a prenup, the other side finds somebody, generally not the person that signed the prenup, to say, well, we're not, we're not um, opposing the prenup, but we do have some clarification questions about the prenup. And then, you know, a quarter of a million dollars later, their clarification questions are resolved We've thrown a little bit more money at the problem and the prenups being enforced. I would like to see better written prenups all around. I I know that some of ours have been questioned and come through with flying colors, so that's great. But a a lot of times somebody decides that they're going to write a prenup, not necessarily a family law attorney. Maybe a tax attorney writes the prenup or an estate attorney. There's pretty simple to follow rules, but you have to kind of know some of the tricks of the trade. So I would definitely go with a family law attorney, somebody that knows this law to do it. And then I would like to see our judicial officers really be able to say, you signed it. I mean, I'll tell you this. I won't take a client that comes in and goes, so I've got this prenup and I really don't like it. Well, why don't you like it? Did you sign it under duress? Well, kind of. I mean, I didn't really understand it. Did you have a lawyer? Yes. Do you speak English? Yes. Um, And you got all the disclosures. So you saw everything that your spouse had before. Yes. Well, why would you want to overturn it? Well, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either, but you signed it. And so I, I wish people would hold people to prenups. I think it will happen eventually. We are seeing it more and more. But yes, it is very frustrating. They do hold up. And like I said, a lot of the ones that I negotiate, the people end up staying married longer because they're having the hard, super unsexy conversations that often people don't have, couples don't have until a couple of years after the marriage when things, when the going gets tough. If you have those conversations before, again, people 
enter into contracts for their wedding planner, their florist, their band, their caterer, everybody. The most important contract is the one that you enter when you walk down the aisle and get married. That's a marriage contract. So many people don't even know what the law is in their state, what the contract is they're entering into, let alone what they would want to kind of carve out as rules for them as part of a prenup. Maybe you don't need a prenup, but don't you need to know what, what you're agreeing to before you get married in order to know whether or not you need a prenup? Why aren't these conversations being had? I don't know. Now, your website covers all of this. Yes, there are all kinds of blogs about prenups, about the law in every state in the U.S. Um, and if you can't find it on It's Over Easy, we'll help you figure out where to find it. Can you keep the ring if you get engaged but you don't get married? All, all of the things that factor into these complicated questions where people end up retaining a lawyer, filing lawsuits, waiting, going in front of a judge that could probably be resolved between the two parties themselves if they just had a little bit of self-education. I had two friends that went to war, two guy friends that went to, to war to get rings back. And neither were family rings, right. by the way. Both of them had been purchased. It was insane. Did they spend I said, more money on arguing about it than the ring mm-hmm. cost? Well, and one of them had a daughter. I'm like, you have one daughter. Your daughter's going to, he's like, she's going to sell the ring. I'm like, then write up a contract that says you can't sell the ring and it's going to our daughter. Right. The best advice was one that Joan used to give. Swallow the Swallow the stone. Swallow the stone. <laughs> she was like, let them sit through shit to get it back. I like that advice. <laughs> so before, yeah, when it, yeah, if you want, yeah. And then the other thing was about mother-in-laws. Make sure that you're buried, uh, second wives, make sure you're buried with all your jewelry on it, on you. So because if the second bitch wants it, let her dig for it. That's, oh my God. I love your mom. I loved watching yeah. her walk down the aisle to the New York gay men's choir singing, Hey, um, big spender. Yes, hey, big spender yeah. at Melissa's yeah. wedding. I'm not sure if that's widely known. Hey, Sabrina was a bridesmaid. Yes. Speaking of, of weddings and gossip and, you know, if I'm just curious. She's at the shallow end of the all, pool, Laura. Yeah, I like to swim in the shallow end of the pool. Sometimes I paddle into the deep and I turn around and come right back to mm-hmm. the shallow end because it's much easier to walk around with a cocktail when you're not treading water. Yes. Okay, we all know, because it's been public, that you represented Kim in her divorce, Kim Kardashian in her divorce from Chris Humphreys. If you had a crystal ball, let's just say, is the letter K potentially going to be an important letter for 2021 for you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a crystal ball. And like I said, I never, ever make predictions about anybody, somebody that was a past client or not. So I just don't know. just wondering if the word, the letter K, you know, <laughs> suddenly might be used a lot on your, on your phone. On my billing sheets? <laughs> yeah, on your billing sheets. Be a lot of K. I'm just asking. I, I would know. be remiss if I didn't. Uh, yes, you would. And I would be remiss if I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, you are amazing. I adore you. Hopefully we will all see each other socially. I hope to God I don't ever have to come back into your offices for another divorce. The only reason I'd want to come in is for a prenup, and that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Laura Wasser, we thank you. Everyone can find all the information on how to find out about Laura's books and the website, It's Over Easy, and her podcast on all of our social media. Yes. Thanks, Thanks. guys.